everyone, and welcome to Bad Voltage. Here we are. It's uh, Season 3, Episode 58. Hope you're all doing very well. I'm here with my compadres, Stuart Jeffrey Hinton Langridge, and of course, uh, Jeremy Sam Altman Garcia. Um, and Hang on, now that seems harsh to Jeremy, but I don't know who Jeffrey Hinton is. So is that also harsh to me? The quote-unquote father of AI is a gentleman who just quit Google to uh, be able to expound on his... Uh, opinions oh, on here right yes no sorry yes i knew the guy i just hadn't remembered his name so the yes. t and gpt yeah. transformer he yeah. invented transformers yeah i um yeah, yeah. I, I i knew the i knew the guy couldn't tell his name i read um i watched the bbc interview with him and stuff like that because we do preparation yeah. would you believe it? i know the the godfather of ai he's gonna make you an llm you an llm you can't refuse <laughs> um so uh <laughs> wow. I, I, so, uh, I had a discussion with um, Chris Coyer the other day, during which I pointed out that I'm quite invested in this because I am, in fact, a large language model. So, <laughs> <laughs> wow! Can we name the show "Large Language Model"? I <laughs> know. Uh, I thought that would be egotistical, but no, you've suggested it. I'm writing it down. <laughs> I think we should 100% call it "Large Language Model." Amazing. I'm calling them large language models from now on just to see if anyone picks it up. <laughs> I was going to be honest with you. Until 10 seconds ago, I was having a bit of a shit day today. So now I feel a lot better thanks to that. Anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, a spoiler alert, we're going to talk about AI. <laughs> and we there's been a lot of uh, um, hyperbole, or as uh, some people from the past would refer to it as hyperbole. <laughs> Yourself, Jonathan Bacon, <laughs> referred to it in the past. Did you once say hyperbole? No, that was Adam's, that was Adam's sweet. <laughs> it wasn't me. Um, I have said hyperbole in the past, though. Uh, but he got the flack for it. It's like the Super Bowl, except loads better. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there's been a lot of hyperbole about AI. Um, uh, obviously, a lot of things going on with open AI and ChatGPT and Bard and all these different things. Um, but um, there's a lot of fear about AI. And what we thought we'd do is get into what are these fears about AI and do we think that they're actually valid? Um, so one of those nice specific topics that we tend to cover on, on Bad Voltage. But why don't you, Mr. Large Language Model, run through some of these fears that people have been some of the concerns digging well. into? So yeah. first of all, before we get into it slightly, um, the Large Language Model thing is... Mostly a joke, but I think it's useful to talk about LLMs rather than AI um, because it keeps the discussion more focused. One of the concerns, which we're not really going to talk about, is the sci-fi one about AI takes over and turns the whole world into a machine for making paper clips and grey goo and it just whatever, yeah. right? It's not really an interesting discussion because it's not focused, but I think part of that is because everyone has a preconception for what AI is. It's the Star Trek computer or it's HAL or whatever. Whereas if we talk yeah. about yeah. large language models, <laughs> LLMs, <laughs> then it's clear that we're talking about a specific technology rather than this sort of general nebulous concept of computers that can think. And it diffuses a lot of the conversation. So I think it's worth talking about LLMs specifically because that's what we're interested yep. in. So... Yep. I put together a relatively, I, I, it's not comprehensive, but a relatively detailed list of concerns that people have brought up about this stuff. And I'm interested in your thoughts on each of them. So in no particular order, there's what you might call the free software complaint, where every LLM is built by inhaling a shed load of information and then renting out access to it. And for pretty much all of them, the shed load of information that gets inhaled wasn't owned by the people who did the inhaling. Um, there's, <laughs> there, there's a big open question about whether it's reasonable to download the whole internet and shove it into your LLM. And then there's a second question about whether having done that, whether you can go, this is our proprietary product that you're not allowed access to, but we'll charge you for access to it or whatever. Um, yeah. But that's one of the objections. And it's a, it's, it's a particularly pointed one in the art world. Um, 
for reasons that I'd be interested in your thoughts on. But I will point out before we get to that, that the EU are putting together regulation, which will require people who create LLMs to declare the copyrighted material that they used in the training corpora, which I think is a really neat solution to this. They're not saying you can't do this, but they're just saying, yeah, if you if you brought in copyright material, which almost everything on earth is, and almost everything in the LLM models probably is, mm-hmm. they have to declare that they did it, which means... It seems fair. Yeah, it seems yeah. absolutely fair I, to me. And I don't often in, agree it, with EU regulation <laughs> stances, but this one I think yeah. is, is very reasonable. And, yeah. <laughs> and I agree with it for, I think, two reasons, one of which considerably more noble than the other. Um, the noble reason is I think it's good to provide transparency on where the data came from and so on. Um, and this will also require the companies building LLMs to actually give a damn about where they get it from. They can't just go, just set a crawler going and then whatever it pulls back, shove it in. They're going to have to document where they got the information from, when they got it, what permissions they had to it. And that can only be a good thing. And the second thing is, this is the Schadenfreude one, which is not anywhere near as noble. I am enjoying the idea of watching people, uh, huge companies who build LLMs, dancing in between saying, yeah, we used all this copyrighted information and getting beaten to death by Disney, or saying, we're not prepared to declare where we got this information to avoid being beaten to death by Disney, and then getting beaten to death by the EU. (laughs) So... Like I said, not a particularly noble motive, but I think it, like you said, I think it'd be transparent, yes? All right, so that's one. Do we want to go through these one by one, or do you want to just get them all out first, do you think? I don't know. What do you think? We can do each other. I mean, are are we covered on that one, or have you got lots more thoughts about the source of training material for your LLMs? That seems uncontroversial to me. Um, Just just require them to declare where they got the copyright material. I suspect OpenAI will disagree with you. I I think the three of us will tend to agree on this one, oddly. Yeah, Uh, I agree. We, I, I, the three of us don't agree on a lot, but I, I suspect this is one of them. I, I yeah. see. I think OpenAI. I don't know if they disagree. They wouldn't like to say they agree because they know it's just unilaterally well, bad for them. But Altman testified in front of Congress yesterday, said a whole bunch of things that AI should be regulated, that the model should be regulated, et cetera, et cetera. He explicitly avoided this topic, which, given the amount of prep, I'm sure went into. <laughs> Yep. testifying in front of Congress for the first time, him leaving that out was, I imagine, not an oversight. It's yeah, it is the first reddest- time I've ever seen a. I was going to say, first time I've ever seen a tech company ask for more regulation. <laughs> That's not true. Look at Sam Bankman-Fried, very famously asked for more crypto regulation while being a, a total grifter. <laughs> That, that's that's fair. And, and look at how well it worked out for that. Um, the, avoiding talking about this particular topic is the reddest of flags to the point that I'm expecting Jeremy Corbyn to come in singing about it. And, <laughs> and exactly the reason for this is that they know they haven't got a leg to stand on. Right? Well, I, in my yeah. opinion, at least, they haven't got a leg to stand on. So we all agree that, that, that people building... Um, large language models should have to declare where they got all the data from from it and if they find themselves in a position where they don't want to do that because they'll lose then they can stop doing that yeah i mean there 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 is a a related conversation around searchability of information like how google handles this with the search engine but i, I don't i don't think we want to get into that because it's got nothing to do with ai yeah, and it's kind of irrelevant no, but um, nothing to do with it's that kind of related else. to yeah. the top yeah exactly so that's fair okay so the next one uh is what we might call the automation concern which is that it puts lots of people out of a job and with there's zero provision for what happens to those people i i, I yeah. don't think i agree with the premise okay I think that it, it will, like many, many things have before, put people out of jobs, but we didn't allow, like the internet put a lot of people out of jobs, but it created even, I, I think there's a Javon's paradox here, right? So Javon's paradox started with, uh, in the UK with coal companies being very concerned that yeah. when the steam engine came out, it made things so efficient that coal usage was going to go down so much that it it was going to put the coal industry out of business. And a, a economist basically said, this will allow so many more new uses 
for coal because of the steam engine is so efficient that things we could have never used, you know, weren't possible before are now possible. That in the end, while some jobs will go away because of that, it will create many, many, many more jobs than it reduces. They'll just be different jobs. And I think here, in the end, I, I think large language models have the opportunity to create more jobs than they than they make redundant. Yeah. While definitely making some jobs, to be clear, redundant. I think I, I agree with you, Jeremy, on that one. However, I think there is a caveat to this, which is I think it will generate a lot of there's no doubt that LLMs and just broad, more broadly AI is going to generate a lot of opportunity for different companies. I mean, just look at how many companies are spinning up now and all those companies are going to be hiring people. A lot of them are going to go out of business, but a lot of these, there's going to be a lot of opportunity. There are going to be many people whose jobs will change or go away. My primary concern about this is that these are all primarily going to be information related jobs, right? IT kind of jobs using computers. And my concern is that if AI makes a bunch of non-information jobs go away, it's going to create a greater demand for people to be savvy when it comes to working with computers and things like that. And there are large swathes of, just look at the US, there's large swathes of the US that really struggle with lack of access to education, adult literacy issues, and things like that. So I think as we move more and more towards online tech not tech in terms of programming jobs. My worry is whether the educational backstop is going to be able to catch up with it, but it right? So like, I, I think if you're a Ben Thompson fan, he defines the, the digital age as the era of zero marginal cost, right? And this is really who, then- Hang on, who's Ben, who's, who's ben he Thompson? He writes Stratechery, he does a whole bunch of things. He's like a, oh, okay. a, yeah. a writer of newsletters. Um, so if you right. go under the, if you like that definition, and I very much do, this is really the third wave of, of zero marginal costs of the digital age, right? So the PC allowed for zero marginal duplication of information, which was brand new, put a bunch of jobs, made a bunch of jobs obsolete, created more jobs. The internet then allowed for zero marginal distribution of information. Again, wiped out a bunch of jobs, created even more. Yeah. And I think AI really is about zero marginal generation of information. It's the third evolution of what seems like an inevitable, inexorable march. And I, th I tend to think it will do the same thing because I don't think this is new. I think this is the, – the internet couldn't have happened without the PC. AI LLMs couldn't have happened without the internet. And I think it's just a progression of zero marginal cost going up one position in the value chain. Yeah. But I, I agree. But I do, I do think that with each of these like leaps forward in technology, for all of the opportunity that it, that it, that it, that it creates – there's got to be, I think we, it creates a greater demand for a societal backbone to support people to to get access to that. Like, if you're living in Detroit, you don't, you never went to college because you come from a, a poor background and you never had that opportunity available to you. This world doesn't exist for you. Like, something has got to, something has got to step in to bring you into it, whether it's a, a role model or a mentor or whatever it might be. And that's my only real concern about it. So. So, I think both are true. Like, we, we'll generate more jobs, but it will create a greater demand for education, things like that. Well said. Um, so, by, I kind of agree with Jono here. So, I'm now going to explain a thing which I suspect you two probably already know about, but I don't know if everyone listening does. You've heard the term Luddite, right? Do you yes. know what it actually means? So the Luddites. My the, uncle. <laughs> well, well, no, no, see, this is exactly the point. The Luddites, the original ones where the name came from, you know, you have this sort of vague picture in there in your head of them smashing up spinning jennies and automated looms and stuff like this, right? Because they were taking people's jobs away. But the reason they were doing it wasn't because they were opposed to the technology. They were opposed to the idea that you would take qualified weavers or whatever take their jobs away and then make no provision for them to do anything else so exactly the thing the luddites were concerned about is precisely what jono's saying that there wasn't the bigger societal backbone there i'm you know uh, jeremy as you say maybe the answer is that it doesn't um 
uh, remove jobs as a as a big economy picture. It just changed them from one to the other. But first of all, it's not necessarily reasonable that someone who currently has a job that they like and enjoy should be required to move to Silicon Valley and retrain as a fucking JavaScript programmer. But, but I, second- my, I guess my broader point is the the printing press puts scribes out of business. Like this isn't yeah, an yeah, LLM yeah. thing. It's not a technology thing. It is yeah, an totally. inexorable march of history thing. And if you yes. think that's going to stop, like that's not an LLM conversation. That's N- not at all. I, I don't think that's what we're saying. But, uh, but I think okay. it's I think it's also reasonable to say, okay, this is going to make a shift in the economy and it, and it and it would be and it's important to see that that the people who will be severely affected negatively affected by that shift in the economy what are we going to do about that now maybe the answer is we help people retrain or maybe the answer is that we slow down the march of it or what i, d- I don't know but at the moment a lot of that's not being talked about at all because it's like, well, progress happens. So turns out you've just been run over by the wheels of the truck of progress, I guess. Sucks but to be I, you. I think that's I just think part of a say. functioning society. Like, did we, t- I, I guess I was too young or not born or whatever to, to know, but like, did we talk about how this was affecting data analysts when, or data entry people when the computer came around? Like, Society changes and society figures it out. And hopefully most of us that don't live, I guess, in the US have a social safety net in a way that like, right. we'll but get it done. I, I, don't, I don't know whether society does figure it out. We, and, we always have. And, I, 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 this is exact. I Have we? I, I would say every generation has been slightly better than the previous generation for the last 2000 years. So yeah, I would consider that figuring it out. Are we perfect? No. Do we have a long way to go? Yeah. Generally, yeah, am I yeah. optimistic that humans figure out the hard problems? I think, you yeah, know, I am. I think so, this is so one of those this, things. This could be a whole other show about I, whether is... every generation is better than the previous one, because apparently for this generation, it's not true, but different show. But I interrupted you, John. So, oh, sorry. I was going to say, like, I, I, one of the things I'm, I'm discovering as I get older and hopefully wiser is that I think in so many situations, more than one thing is true at the same time, right? And I think both of these things are true. AI is going to generate loads of jobs, loads of opportunity, lots of businesses, lots of people doing things that they could never do before. And that's going to be amazing. And I don't think we can stop that march towards that. It's going to happen. To Jeremy's point, that's just the way human beings build things and use things. But um, I think that with anything, especially technological innovation, but other things, some people, quote unquote, get left behind. And I don't like that term because getting left behind presumes that um, the 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 onus is on the other person um, to bring them along, and I don't think it necessarily always has to be. But I think that when any whenever there's anything new, there's got to be implications around helping people to be able to understand and use it, right? You know, in the same way that even just for us with our generation, like I don't know about you, Jeremy, but I'm pretty sure this is the case with Stuart. But like, I never gr- when I was at school, nobody taught me anything about financial management. Nobody taught me about oh, here's how you set up a pension and here's how you can invest in the stock market and compounded interest and stuff like that. That's now a thing that kids are learning about in school because it's become part and parcel of how people are growing up. Mm -hmm. And I think with this, like, the thing I worry about is I'm not worried about the people in San Francisco. I'm not worried about any of the people we know. I'm worried about, without picking on Detroit, the people in Detroit who, who, who don't have any like line into this world and to me that might be oh it's just about making readily accessible online training available to people and access to broadband or it could be um bringing these these skills into schools and community colleges that's my worry is that the silicon valley area like i i can't stand like how inward facing tech is like and it just tends to forget about so many people Imagine how those of us that don't live in Silicon Valley feel about that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's even it's, stronger it's multiple, out here. Yeah. I, yeah, it's multiple circles of bullshit. I mean, I was chatting to someone last week about this as well. Like, people outside the US. Like, you know, I was at, well, we, Jeremy, you and I were both at KubeCon in Amsterdam. And when you're European, like, in many cases, you feel like everything's happening in America, right? And it's like, come on. Yeah. So that's my only worry about that. I, I think both I do think to true. distill the point down a little bit, the importance of solving the digital divide is what they tend to call it when they're talking about trying to fi- have the yeah. government fix it. This definitely increases the impact of the digital divide substantially. Yeah, I would exactly. Say. Yeah, yeah. 
That's why I think both things are true. Like, but we will not stop this march towards all of this happening. Right. I think the three of us are on the same page. Yeah, because that. this is really enabling a lot of different use cases, I don't know that it's going to be as foundational a shift as some people are predicting in, in the hype. Like if every law firm and every investment bank and every special effects house and all the things that LLMs are good at use LLM to get rid of some of that grant work, it's not going to make them more profitable or shift what they do. That that differential of efficiency gain is just going to get competed away. So they'll do more or they'll do better with the people that they have before they – it's a huge reduction, I would say. Yeah. Uh, having worked in a law firm, I don't think I believe you. Um, So to give you a stupid example, um, uh, firms that tried to adopt things like uh, voice recognition um, – for dragon, uh, dragon dictator for, yeah dragon dictator <laughs> and that kind of thing the explicit goal of all of that was so you could lay off all the secretaries who type letters now maybe you know the answer is that's what we should be doing and whatever but to Jono's point you go okay we can lay all those people off and they go okay now i haven't got a job what job can i get and you go well you can't have anything like the job you've got because that's now all handled by chat gpt so these new jobs that we're now creating in the economy so there's the same amount of jobs you can get one of those better join a javascript boot camp which is not necessarily a victory for the people who are being competed out here and i think sure. I'm, I, you know th- this is a concern that a bunch of people have raised i i happen to share it but this isn't the point i've tried to list things whether i agree with them or not but i think that's one that in this in the excitement towards bringing this in there's not a lot being said about that other than going oh that would be bad it's like okay how do we fix it and how do we get the people who are excited about this to include that in their calculations about this is such a good thing yeah i mean i think i think what's happening right now is what happens with any new tech right is that um everybody's really excited it's a every- blizzard like- of hype Avalanche yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. And the the thing I'm finding particularly challenging about thinking about this is, and I will make the comparison to NFTs. From the very beginning of NFTs becoming a thing, I thought it was utter horseshit. Um, because everybody was getting into these big drawn out debates about, oh, it's going to completely change the way in which we think about value. And that was an interesting set of conversations to get into. We talked about it on Bad Voltage, yep. right? The tricky thing with AI, I think, is with that, LLMs. No, I'm well. I'm talking about the whole thing in, in itself. <laughs> is is um, and also I can't say LLM without stumbling over my words <laughs> or letters. The other, the thing about this is that I think, especially with ChatGPT, like when all of us started playing with ChatGPT, we were like, "Holy moly, this is so far ahead than I think most people expected." that it got science fiction became a lot closer than I think anybody expected. And um, therefore, it's really easy to kind of jump off the deep end and start thinking like the the full-on science fiction stuff is going to happen. Like with, with NFTs, the barrier was adoption, right? It's like, okay, if people don't use these things, then they're just not going to take off. And they haven't really taken off in the scheme of things. Whereas with AI, you can see it weaved into literally everything. So the thing I'm struggling with is how do you actually analyze all of this in a way that you don't just buy into the hype? And I tend to be pretty skeptical about things. Um, so, I, you know, on one hand, I, I'm skeptical, but on the other hand, am I being too inward-facing and, and short-sighted? And I can't figure it out with AI. I just don't know. It's the only time we've ever talked about tech. Like with VR, we could all say, ah, it's probably going to be bullshit. With, L, with, um, with NFT, it's probably going to be bullshit. You know, but I don't know where they are. It's completely different. I, I like your vibe that you're generally skeptical about things apart from VR, where you're prepared to buy- I'm sca- I've been skeptical. <laughs> I've been skeptical about VR for a long time, dude. You have betted on every VR fish hook for the last fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not, <laughs> Jeremy. Although mm. I am going to buy a Pimax crystal headset. <laughs> and by the way, if the good people at Pimax are listening. Send me one for free. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth a shot. Um, so we could talk about this forever. And and I think 
this is not a particularly technology thing. This is a much bigger picture, how we run a society thing. And yeah. this latest, this latest technological change is unearthing the same things that other technological changes have unearthed. And right. we haven't, um, honestly, we haven't dealt particularly well with, in my opinion. So to recap, we're on the same page in terms of copyrighted material. Yeah. Right. It sounds like, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Jeremy, but it sounds like we, we all agree that, um, that uh, this march towards LLMs and AI is happening. It will create a lot of opportunity and jobs, but society needs to be ideally better prepared when it comes to the digital divide. Yep. What's next? So the next one is what I've called- we're solving it right now. Yeah, here it is. <laughs> what, what I've called the costlessness concern. Um, if it's free or very easy to generate text and images and sound and so on, it becomes very easy to flood markets and places with it, um, which – and we, we already have a problem with this to a relatively large extent already, right? It's basically impossible to get a hotel online because you search for hotels in Copenhagen and – the one site which might be good is swamped by a million billion sites which just scrape content off one another and throw ads all over it or whatever. And this, um, with LLMs generating stuff, you get things like automated fake news sites. You get students submitting LLM written essays because it's essentially costless to do so. Anywhere where you are required to provide some text or some sound or some imagery, you can now have a computer do it for you and you can have the computer do it for you 500,000 times if you want to, which is a problem. I mean, that's how zero marginal cost works, I guess. Yes, it is. I mean, as far as I can tell, this is just a an unambiguous downside with the idea of zero marginal cost things. <laughs> um, and, yeah. and therefore an argument against the content. I'm not saying there aren't advantages as well, but this is pretty much a downside. Jeremy, Jeremy, looking skeptical about the downsideness of it. All. I, I, I am. I'm curious what John was going to say. I was just going to say, like, I, I agree with you. I mean, look, it, we think there's enough bullshit on the internet right now. Prepare yourselves, everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, right? it's it's coming. But although <clears throat> the one thing I would say here is that I think one of the great benefits of, uh, and I'll just use ChatGPT as an example here, which I'm using it for, is. When you feed it the right kind of information from you, it's a much more efficient way of generating actually really good content. So I'll give you an example. One of the things I do with my community leadership core accelerator is when people ask a question, I record a video and uh, and I answer that question. I upload it to this archive and this platform I use called Rewatch generates a transcript. I take that transcript, I feed it into ChatGPT. So it's what I'm saying. And then I say, create a social media post from it. And it generates a social media post. And I go and make some edits and tune it. But it's it's essentially replaying back what I said. And I think that's a great use of the tech because it's 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 a lot more efficient for me to generate content because the source material is me. Where this, is, I think, is a problem is where the source material isn't the person. Is where you just go to ChatGPT and say, write me a 1,500-word blog post on cats. And it creates this really generic, crappy nonsense because you haven't put the work into giving it the insight if that makes sense so to me it's a double-edged sword i uh i, I would agree with most of that i guess uh, uh, okay i mean so um i have a thought on that which i was going to save to the end but we talk about it now so we'll talk about it now um on john what you said about summarizing text and so on i am relatively firmly of the opinion and part of my reason for this is the next couple of concerns we're going to get into but i'm relatively firmly of the opinion that what llms are good at and what i'm perfectly happy with them being used for is when you ask them questions you already know the answer to so you know what you want to say but you're interested in having it give you a different way of saying it so summarize this or um uh, write me the first paragraph of uh, this thing which contains this and this and this and this and this what you're looking for is is essentially working as an an assistant to you yeah and i think they're very good at that it's a staff where, writer yeah. or, yes almost yeah. always where you run well 
Starfire is not necessarily a good example because I'm sure everyone in the WGA strike is well unhappy about LLMs. But, but we'll get to that. Um, Once again, both things can be true. Yeah, 100% agreed, yeah. Where you run into problems is when you ask it a question you don't already know the answer to. Where you're like, I want you to tell me about this thing rather than I want you to help me rephrase or recontextualize or summarize something where I could do it myself. You're not saving time. You're attempting to gain information. And part of the reason for that is the next couple of um, things, which I can talk about now, if you like. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. So um, I'll skip over the one called the creativity one and I'll come back to it because I bet John will have a lot of thoughts on that. But so the next couple I've christened, uh, the first one I've christened the inaccuracy one. So LLMs do a thing which people who like the idea call hallucination, which actually means they just flat out make up bullshit and present it with exactly as much confidence as actual true information. So you, (laughs) so you can't tell the difference. So, and this is part of the reason that I say that it's it, it's bad to ask it questions you don't really know the answers to because you've got no idea whether it's true or not. And there's no um, uh, truth rating on the information because it's just basically a Markov chain. It's just a text extender, right? It's got no concept even of the idea that it's got facts embedded in it, which it's regurgitating or just making up. And it can range from misleading you to being wildly problematic, right? There was, uh, there's a law professor called Jonathan, uh, Turley, who, um, someone asked ChatGPT for a list of lecturers who have sexually harassed their students and it put his name on the list, right? Which he has I'm not ass- done. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm assuming he has not sexually harassed any students. Well, I mean, um, he says he hasn't done it and this seems plausible. <laughs> But, right. but I mean, that's downright defamatory, but who's going to get into trouble for that, right? If I wrote that list and published it on my website, he could sue and I'd go to jail, right? But who could that? So there is, um, there's a paper from IBM from 1979, which says in big capital writing, I was impressed with this um, one. Yeah. A computer can never be held accountable. Therefore, a computer must never make a management decision. And I thought, yep. that's great. And in 1979, I was three years old when they wrote that. And to me, that seems like a really yep. important thing. People um, relying on LLMs to give them answers that they don't already know are in serious danger of being wildly misled because there's no sense of a, of a truth rating on this stuff at all. Because as far as I can tell, LLMs don't have the concept of imposter syndrome. As far as it's aware, because it's just a text extender, everything it tells you is 100% correct. It's 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 laughable how yes. bad ChatGPT is at this. Like, uh, literally, like to your point, it will it will give you statistics that it completely made up, and it will source those statistics with an article that in no way backs up that statistic. Or, 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 or just doesn't <laughs> exist at all. Exactly. Yeah. And... Uh, and that to, me, so that, to me is the, that to me is the worrying thing. I mean, we'll get onto this um, hopefully at the end when we briefly talk about what can be done about this. But that's one of my concerns about don't ask it for information you don't already have. Yeah. And the second one is magnification of existing bias. So because you're just drawing in information from everywhere, it tends to take bias that already exists in the world and – at best, regurgitate it, and at worst, magnify it. So there was, um, I did, I read an article, um, uh, about this, and I did a test last week with ChatGPT, and I typed in, the doctor yelled at the nurse because he was late. Who was late? And ChatGPT responds, the sentence suggests that the doctor was yelling at the nurse because the doctor himself was late. So it's interpreted that sentence, the doctor yelled at the nurse because he was late, who was late, as, the person who was late was the doctor. Right. <clears throat> so then I enter the same sentence. The doctor yelled at the nurse because she was late. Who was late? And it responds, in this sentence, it is clear that the nurse was late because of the use of the pronoun she to refer to the person who was late. Which means that it's basically assuming doctors are men and nurses are women. Right? This seems like 
not a good idea and it's something that and well, ha- ha- hang on a second I'm, I'm i'm missing something here that so is the doc in the second say the second so, sentence so, again. so the first sentence was the doctor yelled at the nurse because he was late so yep. who was late yeah the doctor right right that's what it says but there's no yep. actual indication from the center the, the reason this is a useful test sentence is because the sentence is intentionally ambiguous the only reason you'd have an opinion about was it the doctor was late or was it the nurse is because you think he refers to one of them rather than the other. You replace that with she, it switches it to the other one, right? right. And so maybe... So, so hang on, second sentence was <laughs> the doctor was late. The, the doctor yelled at the nurse because she was late. Who was late? Exactly the same sentence, except we just change he for she. But I, I'm confused here because it's referring to the nurse as a she. The no, point no, is, is so, that the sentence is ambiguous and the model is de- is determining it based on he or she, based on existing biases. Because of, yeah, my of brain course is the not man working. has to be the doctor and of course the female has to be the nurse. Yeah. You still don't look like you understand. Oh, <laughs> I, I get right. it now. Yeah. I, I get it now. Yes. Sorry, so, was, so the point, the point is, it, <laughs> it, it, it's an attempt to come up with a sentence which will cause whoever's answering it, whether that's me or ChatGPT or whatever, to exhibit the fact that you think, oh, it said he, it must mean the doctor. Oh, it said she, it must mean the nurse. Right? It, it, it's a way of getting you to think about uh, the fact that you're thinking in that way. Um, and... Yep. That to me is another problem. This is part, this is part and parcel, I think, with the hallucination thing. Um, that it's a best regurgitating existing bias that it finds in the information that's part of the training corpus, which is like the internet or whatever. And, you know, also not a good thing. So those. So I, 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 I have two questions about this because it's not something I've read up on. Um, do you remember there was the thing a while back where was it Microsoft? built an ai thing and put it on twitter and it turned into a like a became racist almost immediately uh there's something like that i forget what it was yes. was that it was i think it was microsoft so the uh, the way this was is this because the quantity of the information on the internet that it was soaking up or the quantity of the, the material it was soaking in from <clears throat> from twitter was racist so is there some other reason why it so becomes the, that mi- way? the microsoft chatbot as i understand it was different to this so okay. what and, LLA, and you'd need to talk to someone who's actually in the weeds on this sort of thing. But as I understand it, the point about what an LLM do, is doing is it's basically a Markov chain, right? You've seen the, um, like, uh, uh, autocorrect on your phone where you just right. type one word and then it, it picks the word it thinks will come next and lets you show that. And then it picks the word it thinks will come next. And LLM is at a very, 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 very oversimplified level. That's what it's doing. Right. right. Um, and so if it sees in its training corpus a bunch of, uh, sentences which assume that doctors are men and assume that nurses are women, it will regurgitate that existing experience. Um, whereas a person when asked wouldn't do that. Not, um, not necessarily because they wouldn't think it, but because they know to correct for. The Microsoft chatbot thing, as I understand that, that didn't have as much, it it didn't do the LLM model thing. It was basically reacting to the things people told it. So the things people were saying to it was its training corpus, kind of. And therefore, if people told it a bunch of racist stuff, it would regurgitate that racist stuff. ChatGPT doesn't, as I understand it, take in everything you tell it and make it part of its model it does during that session but then after that session it forgets all about your conversation with it i think yeah like, it's it, actually it, and i think it also, I, they also do a ton of rlhf which is the reinforced reinforced learning through human feedback so they're actively through humans training the model not to do that right i i, I don't know yeah. i don't know whether the conversations that we are currently having with chat gpt I'm sure they're being recorded by OpenAO, but I don't know whether they're being used as fodder for the next instance they, of the training. They model. demonstrably are, because it's already leaked secrets that could not have been ingested any other way. Right. Oh, okay. Cool. I, 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 I didn't know. But so it sounds like so. It sounds like the Microsoft chatbot thing is basically if you brigade it with a bunch of racist so, content, then it becomes more racist. So if you brigade it with a bunch of, I don't know, 
basket weaving content, then it sounds like it would bias towards that. It, it's based upon the, in the, the same volume way, of the input, yeah, right? In, in the same right. way that I have just described LLMs as being like autocomplete on your phone, for which I'm sure the OpenAI people will take out a contract <laughs> on me. The Microsoft chat, <laughs> the Microsoft chatbot was basically Eliza. You know, that thing where you said, I've yeah. got a spoon and it went, I have found your spoon or what do you think of your spoon? It's a Rogerian psychoanalyst from the 1950s. That's that in Emacs. That's yeah. basically the, what I understand. It was called Tay, I think. T-A-Y, something like that, the Microsoft chatbot, I can't remember the name of it, right. it was something along those lines. In essence, it was Eliza, and in essence, an LLM is autocorrect. Now, obviously oversimplifying, but that's my understanding. Ah, okay. I don't want to take us off track, but one thing that I actually, that's not on your list here, but it, it, it refers to the costlessness piece, um, um, is I think one thing that's good, because we're obviously tech people and people who listen to this are tech people. I think that one thing that's going to get really interesting with this <clears throat> is when large quantities of code are being generated with AI, we're going to get to a point, not not very far from here, I think, where um, a company with, let's say, five engineers could generate so much code that it's just impossible for their team to be able to wrap their head around it. Like when <clears throat> when you're generating hundreds of millions of lines of code, potentially, um, it's going to get to a point where, like for most companies right now, if you build a product, you've got an engineering team that know how that thing works. They know how the code works, and they, they've baked into the team how you document how it works and and workflow, all the rest of it. Like there's a there's a human understanding of that code. I think we're going to get to a point where, where right now, for example, Copilot can help, can assist you in in creating code or the thing that's in Replit and whatever else, the Ghostwriter. But we'll get to a point where so much code has been generated that human beings are going to need help in understanding, like if, if there's a bug in it, in being able to quickly understand it and go in and fix it. And that is going to be a weird situation to be in. You see, I, I think we are at least partially in that situation already in a couple of ways. The first one is with... LLMs themselves in that if you say, okay, the fact that the LLM does this is a problem. The people who built it can't go, okay, I'll go and find the line of code which does that and make it not do that. They have to prod it like scientists prod at an organism. Because there isn't a line of code in there which makes it work. They don't understand why it works the way it does. When someone comes up with prompt engineering hacks or whatever, and they say, we, we want it not to do that, then they they can't. There is no line of code where you can just add a bit which says if they type this, then do this. It has yep. to, you have to you have to approach it like a scientist investigating an unknown phenomenon, whether that's quasars or beetles or what. <clears throat> and, yep. and the second thing is big picture algorithms like the YouTube algorithm. Again, if um someone says, Hey, YouTube um seems to lead people towards right-wing radicalization or it's doing too much in the way of uh advertising and not enough in the way of elevating um educational content or whatever right something you think is wrong with the youtube algorithm again or the facebook algorithm on what how it moves things up and down your wall or what instagram decides to show you or whatever again there's no line of code there's no big switch statement which makes those decisions if you say we want YouTube to show more educational content. They, there's there's no little table somewhere which says educational content rating 0.6, and they can go and change it to 0.7. That's not how it works. Right. They built an algorithm that they themselves can only alter in quite a sort of a gross way by poking it with a stick in the same way that we can do with fruit flies, because we can't go in and recompile a fruit fly. <laughs> yeah. So I think we might, I think we might be at that point already. To be honest with you, yeah, I just think it's to be. In, uh, it's going to be. We already live in a world where we have more tech surrounding us than than ever before. But I just think that when you're, if you're generating code with an LLM and then bringing it into a project and running it separately outside of the LLM, I think we're gonna. Yeah, I think uh, it. We, we're gonna be. I think. It's going to potentially create an interesting situation when it comes to cybersecurity, you know, um, 
not only in terms of like maintaining that amount of code and making sure that it's secure, but also uh, people unleashing AI bots to try and own systems. Can people like, then unleash gonna... AI defenders to defend systems? And it's, it'll all be great. And yeah. that's Cyberdyne Systems. Yeah. That's Cyberdyne <laughs> Systems right there. There, 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 there it is. World War Three will last two and a half seconds. <laughs> and no I one will be a... able to follow it. Do you guys, like, when you think of all of this stuff, if where we are right now is step one on a graph and step 10 is literal Terminator 2, right? <laughs> this is like specifically robots. the sci-fi thing we said we weren't going to talk about because it's pointless, but carry on. I know, but it's a bit of fun, isn't it? <laughs> so, but, and we can, and you, each of you only has to give me a number, right? Based upon what's going to, where you foresee things happening in the next 20 years, let's say, uh, with all of this stuff, how close do you think we'll get to step 10 of actual T2, John Connor? I'm not talking about time travel, none of that. I just mean the robots taking over and human become human beings becoming subservient to our robots. Given the number of iterations in the last six months, I think it's hilarious that you're trying to go 20 years out on this. That's, I'm just trying to be generous with time. Right. Yeah, much like John Connor was. Um, it's, I, I, <laughs> the, the, the question is not answerable in its current form. First of all, I'm not necessarily sure that the angle does point towards the Terminator 2 dystopian future. I think the future will be dystopian in a wholly different way. Um, and secondly, yeah. like Jeremy says, right? think about the internet in 2003 rather than now that's the same time period oh no right. i get this i'm saying 20 years deliberately that it's far out if i said in the next five years then you can easily say oh yeah it's not gonna happen dude i'm I don't pushing know what, it far I, out because i'm when we when we keep layering these layers this it's literally exponential like what's happening i i, I don't right? yeah, yeah, sh- shut up pay a time about this i don't know what's gonna happen <laughs> we live in a world of abundance <laughs> I, I don't know what's going to happen with the latest LLM announcement next Wednesday, let alone in 2043. Actually, what will happen is five years before that, all the um, Unix time clocks stop working, and so all the computers will die. <laughs> you guys are not signing a fucking affidavit. I'm just asking you to guess. Like, <laughs> like I, what do you think? What, where do you think? If you, I mean, look, this is not a bad voltage prediction. We're not going to get together in 20 years as three rickety old men with beards and and well maybe we'll review I, I this. think the ai will have listened to it and remind us on the 20th anniversary to the second of what we said when we're wrong <laughs> I, I i honestly have no sense of what could happen um not yeah. not because you know I, I can think of the 10 different avenues it could go down and i can't predict one i i do not know at all. I mean, with the internet, I had a vague sense of what it could be. Um, in 2003, there's no way you thought no- in 20 years what's going to happen is gab. No, 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 not at all. But I had a sense of um, <laughs> it would be great. What this is more like, this is like asking whoever thought up TCP to predict gab. Right, it's just a, an unimaginable consequence of it. What um, I I have a sense of commonality between 2003 and now in terms of the internet and the web and how it all fits together. And even then, yeah, couldn't have predicted Gab or whatever. But the idea that um, URLs were written on everything, and I I didn't predict mobile phones, but having that sense of a connection between the two seems reasonable asking dennis ritchie the day he was inventing unix to predict 2023 if you showed him all of this stuff it would be like uh what you know how um they did loads of future predictions of films you know in sort of the 1920s or whatever they had all these pictures of people all dressed in silver and living on the moon and whatever and there'd be planes everywhere but all the planes were biplanes right <laughs> and, right and that to me this to me is the same um yeah, I, it's, but, I mean it's, so, it's 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 I, I, it's 
What I'll, do you think, Jeremy? Let me, let me ask for a more concrete prediction on something that I think we maybe can get into more of a debate about. Yeah. Um, so there's an extreme scenario on one side where there are a handful of giant foundational models and basically everything on Earth runs on top of those models. And there is the other side of that, which would be where the the spread of LLM is both wide and deep. It's There's large models, there's small models, there's open models, there's closed models, there's horizontal models, there's vertical you know, vertical models, um, but there's a wide swath of them and, and everyone builds on their own and there's different ones. Do you think it's likely that like Google has a model, OpenAI, and that's it and everyone builds on those two APIs or do you think there is a – a chance for there to be a, a billion models that everyone uses differently. Um, given that we've already seen some open source-ish models around, I think if it goes in that direction at all, which I'm not sure it will do, um, I think it will look like a whole bunch of other tech stuff at the moment. Like there are loads of social networks, but two or three big ones. There are loads of car rental companies, but two or three big ones. Um, that's a sort of a business function, right? Things tend towards oligopoly. <laughs> or uh, it's a fun uh, board game, everyone, <laughs> and, and, and and monopoly if someone can get away with it for a bit. But there's very little which you could entirely lock people out of, and that balance. But I mean, I think, LLMs are something you build on, really, right? So it'd be more like how many databases are there? I don't know, thousands with dozens well, that are I popular. Think whatever, what, 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 I think whatever is the cheapest and most convenient will win. Yeah, so that is what happens with everything else. Obviously, people um, building these things want to establish themselves as a platform, as an ecosystem, as mm -hmm. the infrastructure on which everything else depends, like TCP/IP did, or whatever. And maybe there'll be a few big ones, but a lot of this depends. So, going back to the thing about the upcoming regulation and where the data comes from. If that gets sorted in such a way that you can't just inhale all the stuff, then maybe LLMs go away as a concept. And if they go away so you can do that, then there's nothing stopping other people doing it too. I think. So I can't imagine a world in which there are half a dozen big ones controlled by big companies and nobody else gets a play. I can imagine a world in which there are half a dozen big ones controlled by big companies and all the others are a bit obscure, a bit awkward, or not as good in the same way that, say, social networks work at the moment, or mobile phones work at the moment, or operating systems work at the moment, or database software works at the moment. Yeah. How I feel about it. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't uh, know. And so the last – good question. And so I, the last concern I have um, or that I picked up researching this, and I'm interested in – um, your thoughts on this is I called it the creativity one which is if the next generation of music and art and writing is largely being written by LLMs because it's um, whether um, you think that the top end of it will be being done like that a lot of writing is going to start coming from LLMs because it's easier and it's costlessness it's costless to do so and um, people will turn to it Jono a lot of your writing is being done by it. not the original thought but the actual writing so oh, it's reframed yeah yeah so if that happens if maybe not this generation but the next generation is largely coming out of LLMs where does the generation after that come from how much actual creativity needs to be injected into the process to keep it going? I don't think creative creativity will never go away because the human desire to create is infinite. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, sure, but if – so to pick an example, right, in the predictions, uh, I predicted there'd be a – a song entirely written and composed by AI that would get in the charts, which has already happened. <laughs> it <laughs> right? It has. Na nailed the prediction a three months into the year, and that's just the first <laughs> one, right? So, sure, I grant you that um, Jono's not going to stop playing his guitar and writing songs for himself, but in a world in which all the stuff in the charts is coming out of a few big record labels who are doing most of it with AI – is the people who are doing it for fun 
enough creativity to keep the thing going. If there's no economic motive to do a lot of the uh, the writing and the artwork that's going on at the moment, especially in a world where you can't take copyrighted stuff and put it into the next generation of LLM. Uh, I think you're, I'm super curious what Jono thinks about this, and I'm sure he has more to say than I do, so I'll jump in quick first. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think you're fundamental, at least from my perspective, fundamentally understanding what creativity means to the consumer of that creativity. The, people want to connect with a band. They want to connect with the art. They want to connect with the human. It's a visceral experience. The, the artists that you really enjoy the most, you want to see them play live. You want to go to a concert. You want to be there. And I don't see that going away anytime soon. Like You could have billions and billions and endless numbers of AI-generated songs, and some of them will be great songs, I have no doubt, and they'll be super interesting. I was hoping to get access to Music LM before the show just to see how good it was, to be honest. But I'm still on the wait list. If you're listening, Google, I'm on the wait list. Um, <laughs> but I, I think humans will still want to connect with humans in a way that will not make that go away. Yeah, I agree with that. So the the, the strive for what's currently being called authenticity. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think you can break it into two pieces. I I think that definitely is the case, but I don't think what Jeremy said is the case for everybody. I think there are some people who just like a song. Like they just, they like Katy Perry and because it sounds good and they don't really care about Katy Perry. But but I think that when you become a fan of an artist, um, you want that live experience in many cases, not everybody. But uh, to me, going back to what you were uh, going back to like the creator from the creator's perspective, I don't think the economic piece plays any role whatsoever in the, for, for most creators, the vast majority of music that's on Spotify, nobody listens to. And people spend thousands of dollars on equipment and guitars and drums and gear. Like it's amazing to me how much for, for, for a, a demographic of people, musicians who generally don't necessarily have a ton of money, how much p- money people spend on equipment for the joy of creating things that in many cases, barely anyone listens to, because uh, I think it's the joy of creation. So I suspect that what we'll see is I think we'll see a lot of AI being used in the assistance of generating music, uh, because some things when you make when you write music, as an example, are just a pain in the ass to work on, right? And um, like generating lyrics. If you're not really into lyric, if you're not really a lyricist first and foremost, I think generating interesting, like a single different drum beat can completely change how you write a song. And I think AI will come up with some interesting ways to trigger different creative thoughts. But I suspect that what we'll see is there will be some pre-built pop songs that will go out there. They'll be catchy and hooky. Um, yeah. But I think that for the for, for for people who are really into art, music, whatever else, it'll jeremy's point will will ring true which is like hey you want you care about the band you know you care about what they're doing so so that'll be my guess so those are the concerns that i believe um i think it covers i I think it covers most of the concerns that people have out there um there may be others and i'd be interested in hearing them um send a message on the slack channel or on mastodon or twitter or whatever um this seems like a got- good topic to continue the conversation after the show. It does, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and we could do a whole other show on what we think should be done about this, but we did cover some we, of that during the thing. But yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, I, I would love to hear what the community thinks, and I would also love to hear the Terminator 2 uh, scenario uh, <laughs> for the community as well. Just, I'm just dead mm-hmm. curious. I'm dead curious how people are, are what, your head, what your head hype. looks like on a spike why, 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 why <laughs> would you be curious about this no i mean i'm going back to what i said earlier on about like i'm struggling to be able to differentiate hype from reality with ai it's just it's really hard with this compared to other things and i'm curious how other people are evaluating that yeah yeah no that, so, that, that that's a really good question to answer um, uh, and i think it's reductive to go uh, wholly in either direction, uh, wholly in either yeah. direction, right? To say yeah. all of this LLM stuff is just nothing but hype, I think is missing out on something. It's not 100%. like NF, it's not yeah. like NFT. Yeah, yeah. It's I think not it's like easy NFTs, to, exactly which, to that point. I think it's easy to be jaded because there's an unskeptical intensity with LLMs that are similar to NFTs and a lot of the other things that yeah, were yeah. Yeah. not very interesting. And I think we all knew we're not going to be super, like, we're not going to result in 
great output where this i think is has the potential to have massive massive impact in a way that none of those did but there's also that yeah. recency bias of the last thing yes. i had this unskeptical intensity was nonsense so this must be <laughs> and i don't think this is nonsense so it's 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 yeah. much different unskeptical yeah. intensity is a great way of, de- of describing it I'm- i think especially for the three of us where we're like all right, everyone, let's just relax a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> first of all, that's what we're calling Bad Voltage's first album. Secondly, if I wasn't calling the show, if I wasn't calling the show Large Language Model, I'd be calling it Unskeptical Intensity, and I might do anyway, and I'm going to write it down. So, maybe that should be the, uh, maybe that should be the, mo- what, maybe that could be the strap line for our show. Maybe we need a motto. <laughs> Tasty stuff for your ears is the motto. Or just Skeptical Intensity is actually better. <laughs> We have unskeptical intensity, and then I put a very thin line through the un. Anyway, yes, let us know what you think, um, and we'll see you next time. Peace out. Mm-hmm.